0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast. This week's conversation is one of the most interesting and informative ones I've recorded to date. I'm very glad to introduce you to my good friend Brian Soloway. Brian was a young intern at our political office and I remember thinking at that time, even though he brought incredible enthusiasm to our workspace, that perhaps politics wasn't for him. And I think I was right. In fact, I'm glad I was right because he went on to discover his true calling and started working with young children with mental, behavioral, and developmental difficulties. He later founded ABC Solutions and provides behavioral and educational solutions to families as well as education professionals. It is an incredible vocation that not only requires patience and compassion, but through which he is able to positively impact the lives of so many children and their families. I hope you enjoy this conversation. How's it going, man? It's good to see you. It's been a long time. Huh? It has been a long time. Why? Why? Yeah. Well, we kept
1: saying we were going to go for coffee. I said drinks. No, then- you,
0: you say we should go. I, I usually ignored those messages. It's true. It's but you true. never
1: followed back. No, you messaged me about watches. That was about it.
0: You didn't want much more from me than that. I just wanted to pick my brain. Yeah, I was looking for a watch. I thought, who better to take advice from than Brian? I appreciate that. Did you get your watch? I did get my watch. It's a beauty. Do you like
1: it? I love that handpiece. Nice. Tissot. Yeah. good
0: yeah not sponsored by the way unless they really want to sponsor the show I why not george yeah.
1: loves free watches <laughs> looks good on the wrist oh, a under, little understatement not too
0: big that's not right. too small. that's what i was going for like a like a, i don't want a rolex like you do yeah that's right hide it husband has how you how's it how you been man <laughs> i can't complain yeah you're doing well no complaints it's been uh one,
1: two, three, four years since we, since we uh, tortured each other at the office. It's
0: been a very, yeah, it's, uh, it, seems, it, it seems longer, though.
1: Maybe. Was 2000, when did we work together? I don't
0: know. You have to tell me because I don't remember.
1: Uh, you know what? I think it was 2011,
0: 2012. 11, 12. Yeah. It was right before the election? Yeah. Okay. The year before. Yeah, you you were part of an internship program uh, that uh, it's it's the Jewish community, basically. They get the young uh, people that are interested in politics uh, to intern. It was what, about a year, less than a year, eight, nine months? It was a nine-month internship. I had
1: no clue what I wanted to do after Concordia. And uh, I remember my mom took a clipping out of this Jewish newspaper called (laughs) Canadian Jewish News. And she's like, you should apply for this. It would be great. So I had done an undergrad in political science and uh, put my application in, and then uh, lo and behold, had an interview and uh, ended up in your office for uh, nine months.
0: Nine very interesting, felt a very short time, months, and that's what happened. But tell me, first of all, you studied politics because you had no other idea what to do like I did, or... Were you even remotely interested in politics? So
1: I was super interested in politics and my dad is a family law lawyer and it seemed to have been the route that I was kind of, I don't know, destined for, quote unquote. So I went towards politics and I had done an undergrad in sociology, but on the side, I had always worked at summer camps and worked with children and I was always interested in that. So it was a combination of, I think I want to go the law route Um, and I should backtrack and say before... I got the internship, I had applied to uh, law school, and I was waitlisted at uh, the Faculty of Law at McGill, which was back then a big deal, mm-hmm. and, uh, but there was no spots for me. So I thought this was a nice thing to add to my CV, and yes, I did have an interest in politics. Somewhere on the back burner, I didn't know if it was a forever thing. And spending nine months after your office, I knew it wasn't a forever thing after that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so that's what got me there. And uh, I, ended up, I ended up spending some interesting time there and definitely learned a lot of stuff.
0: Because, see, that program is, a, first of all, it's an amazing program, right? They get all these youngsters that have even remotely an interest in, uh, in public affairs. Uh, and we had a guy. Uh, hold on, my phone is ringing. OK, um, yeah, we had a guy before you, Josh, who we ended up keeping because we really uh, loved what he had to offer us. And and we kept him. And I, I don't think he's the only one. I think there are so many interns from that program that ended up maintaining a job, you know, um, whether it's provincial or federal, uh, which is fantastic. And then you come in and, you know, we realized we're like, this is a this is an internship for kids that are interested in politics. What's going on? (laughs) You didn't seem like the person who was very inclined uh, in, you know, the political affairs or public affairs. It like, it showed me personally that I'm not so sure this is the path, right?
1: Oh, you made that very clear every day.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You're making me seem like a monster. Nah,
1: uh, not uh, a monster.
0: But so, so you were, you what were what were you thinking? Like you just did that primarily because oh, it might be might be a good idea to add this onto my resume. It'll open up some doors eventually if I want to get into law. Like was that the only thing, or were you just curious to see what could happen?
1: Definitely not. I think I was a young, eager, twenty three, twenty four year old guy somewhere around that age. And uh, I walked into the office, and at first, I have to say, yeah, it was to add to the CV, but I left every single day, really with a smile on my face, and I would say three out of five days a week, we laughed so hard that we cried. Yeah, it was fun. So, we had a good time, and I ended up definitely learning, built relationships, and the most important thing is... And I guess we'll get into it later. Is I actually learned how to speak French a little bit because yeah. I came in very anglophone, Yeah. and uh, that was a little bit of a problem because I wasn't even even allowed to answer the phones <laughs> at the beginning.
0: <laughs> keep Brian off the phones. Yeah, keep Brian off the phones. It's important, man, because you know you're in Quebec, right? So uh, uh, yeah, and we don't have that well. We do see, see the, it was a very particular writing that we have in this, uh, that we had in the sense that literally half of it was allophone. And half of it was primarily francophone, right? So, uh, yeah, I think we panicked when we saw you. We were like, we need a francophone. What the, hell, what the hell just happened here? But I
1: found my niche going to the older ladies' houses, yeah. talking to them, bringing them stuff from yeah. the writing
0: office. That's they liked me. A, yeah. Tell me um, what you took from this. Uh, was it what you were hoping for? Was it uh, a learning? Obviously, it was a learning experience. But w- what came out of this experience for you? So that's a good question. I, I wish I remember.
1: It must be saved on an old hard drive. But I had written a thank you letter to um, Federation CJA, which is the Jewish organization yeah. that uh, organized all these internships. And I don't remember exactly what I wrote, but I remember being very satisfied with what I got out of it. And this might sound strange, but a lot of my satisfaction came out of it. Well, besides building you know, friendships and being able to chat with you five, six, seven, eight years later, however long it was, yeah. and just shooting, uh, shooting the shit back and forth. I learned, I learned this is not what I want to do. Mm. And that was the best because there was no time wasted. There was lessons learned. There was relationships made. There was some travel. There was all this interesting stuff, which is super great. And I realized, okay, what, what's the next step? Mm-hmm. And that's what brought me to my next step. I remember leaving, leaving uh, the internship after nine months, having about a month or six weeks off, and I had had a new job set up. Um, Where? Uh, actually within the Jewish community I was uh, they offered me a job as I think it was the director of children's programming at the community center and part of my mandate was actually to do programming for kids with uh, special needs Mm -hmm. and I stayed there for one year and that was basically right after the internship uh, with you guys and then that just kind of sprung me into I guess what my life is today it was like my introduction
0: Tell me because we're going to get to what you're doing now because it's very interesting and I, I want to have that conversation. I think it's going to bring a lot of value to the people that are listening or that are watching um, but you were so adamant on becoming a lawyer I remember that that's the path that you wanted to go after so vividly right um, how did that change I, I don't want to you know i don't want to um, uh, I don't want to suggest that the time at the office that you, that you spent there kind of changed your mind, but leaving the office Did you have at all in your mind that possibility to continue um, towards law? No, I was done. There was a day at the office, I remember,
1: um, somebody in the office, uh, you included, um, had a meeting with, I think, a local pastor or priest. And uh, he had a daughter, a little girl. She must have been like five, six years old. I guess she was either off school that day or was sick. And she couldn't obviously sit in your meeting. And you had asked me to entertain her. <laughs> I remember. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh and so, I came in and I there's something in the office for kids. So I grabbed like a bunch of highlighters and papers, and I literally just got on the floor and like was coloring with this little girl for like a couple, I don't know, forty five minutes or whatever during your meeting. And it's funny that that's one of my not funny memories, but memories that sticks out in the office because I guess that was partially you that was know, like
0: the eye opener.
1: What I was destined, you know, what I was destined to do. I was always excited, you know, for stuff every day. But that was something that sticks out. So. Yeah. I guess, I guess that might've been part of it, but I, I didn't necessarily leave saying no to law, no to politics, but I just felt it was very, it was very like, dude, you were stressed sometimes. Like there were, there were some very hard, stressful days and, uh, you know, lots of back and forth from here to Quebec and lots of time on the phone. And I, I felt it was just not something like a guy in my twenties. It's not something I really wanted to set myself up Mm -hmm. for. And yes, any job you do, I think you can make a difference. You know, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, flipping burgers, cleaning houses, working in politics, working as a daycare educator, can always find a way to have an impact on people. Yeah. But it I just don't think it was the impact I wanted to have. And I think that was one of my, you know, one of my one of my things I took with it, uh leaving. And I think you guys knew that all along. But we just had such a good time day to day. And I learned stuff, you know, I learned stuff about politics. I learned how to properly research people. Uh, You taught me some French punctuation. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so that was basically, yeah, I guess it was an eye opener in many ways.
0: What sucked is that, I think I remember now the timing that you were there, um, that you didn't fall at a time where we had to either prepare for an election or it was at an election time. It was the year before, I think, you were prepping for an election. Yeah that would have been fun for you to actually experience uh, organizing and planning and actually, uh, you know, seeing through uh, a campaign because that's next level that, that, that's like, if you, th- if you thought that we were going through stressful periods at work or, you know, the long hours of traveling and all that, I mean, w- when you see what goes on during a campaign, it's just insanity, insanity, but you had to come a couple times. I remember during the campaign,
1: America. Yeah, I yeah. came I came to help out the next year because I was still, it was before I went to uh, mm. graduate school, so I was still in the city, and I helped out a couple of times, and uh, I also stayed involved, I think, the next year, uh, one of our colleagues, Josh, uh, and I, we had started, I don't know if it was based on your recommendation, uh, uh, Association de Jeunesse uh, pour uh, L'Oreal d'Orient. And there was that young oh, yeah, leadership okay. group. And I stayed involved for a little bit, came to the office for a couple of meetings, even though it really wasn't my thing. I think I just wanted to stay connected to you guys to some yeah. extent. But uh, yeah, I stayed on for that. I kept paying for my uh, liberal membership card.
0: You know, that that's something that always comes up. And I, I always feel um, a little disappointed because if there's something that we have failed at uh, during those, you know, whatever, 11, 12 years, was that we never managed to really get youngsters uh, engaged uh, in politics. And we tried a few things here and there, but we never, uh, maybe it was our fault. I don't know, maybe we didn't see it through, uh, or maybe it just wasn't the right timing, or I, I really don't know. Um, and now that you mentioned that young uh, that, that young group there, yeah, that's another one that we had tried, I had forgotten about that one. And it just didn't, uh, nothing happened with that. And it's, uh, it's too bad. But uh, now more and more, uh, you know, there's a lot of youngsters that are, the, the, well, I, I don't know if it was always the case. I mean, there were always youngsters engaged. There was the youth wing of the party. Uh, so I don't want to suggest to you that there's no youngsters uh, involved in politics, but just locally with our association, with our riding, we had a hard time bringing youngsters to that level. You had a very,
1: um, in Park X, there was a much older population Of uh, people living there. Yeah. Like more a parent's age. And I think that was part of it. And I almost, I don't want to say I can guarantee, but I bet if we jump back into it today, just because of all these things with environmentalists
0: and all these youngsters coming in, I think it would be a whole different ballgame. Well, also the youngsters uh, have, you know, they're not young anymore, right? (laughs) That's true. Like when we started in 2007, the 10-year-old kids today are voting age, right? They're in their twenties.
1: That's true. If you think about it, So
0: you know, there's a lot of time that has gone. So obviously things have changed. We were the young office, by the way, we were the young people. Yeah. Josh, myself, Mm -hmm. you. Uh, I don't know how the other offices were. Uh, I I don't remember the composition of the other offices. I mean, there were some youngsters, obviously like youngsters. I don't want to, you know, young adults, whatever um but yeah no we had a good dynamic it was um it was a lot of fun but let me ask you something about the law thing because I know that you know you mentioned your dad uh, he's actually a very well known family lawyer was that something growing up that was imposed on you or uh, and not imposed like the negative way just you know uh here's the law practice it would be fun if someone would take it over like were you in that kind of environment I think culturally, and I
1: think you would understand this because of your cultural background, there's somewhat of an expectation that success even though i completely disagree with that today because i know tons of people who are graphic designers and driving around in eighty thousand dollars cars because they've built a business but there was something culturally about you know being successful as either you know being a figurehead being a lawyer being a doctor being a dentist something like that and i think although it was never directly as the word used imposed on me i think it was something that probably would have pleased my parents and that's something especially the shit I caused them when I was a kid growing up. I think that was something that in the back of my mind I knew was important to them. And it became important to me because I felt that even though I always loved working with kids, I felt that if I went into law, I can end up doing something with child advocacy rights and doing something in the realm of what interests me anyways.
0: Yeah. How did they take the news when you finally decided that, you know, law isn't what it's going to be? You know what? I think that they really embraced it
1: with open arms, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. I think they, when they, listen, when a parent sees that their child is so happy and passionate about something, I really don't think that, you know, or not think, but I, I really think it would be difficult for them to say, you know what, you know, screw you. How could you do this to us? Like, you know, I think it was something that made me happy. I think they saw it. And, you know, when I speak about what I do now, later on, I think maybe you'll see people say like, oh, you know, you have a glow when Mm -hmm. you speak to yourself, you know, about, about what you do. So I think that they were happy with it. Um, And you know what, to be honest, you know, screw everyone who's not happy with what you're doing. You got to love what you do and wake up every day happy about it. Mm -hmm. So I think it was okay.
0: For sure. Absolutely. And I think your parents can see it too, right? I mean, they, you know, it it would be ridiculous to suggest that a parent that sees their, 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 their child uh, succeeding in what they enjoy and actually enjoying what they're succeeding in, um, it would be weird to, and I'm sure it exists, to have the parents uh, kind of pushing uh, for something else, right? Like to, to be persistent.
1: Well, I see that often every day in my work with the older clients I work with, you know, like people measure success on so many things, whether it's, you know, material, you know, letters of education after, you know, their names and like, I guess later on, if you're interested in, you know, how I pursued my further education, that's fine. But I don't think it's necessarily just letters after someone's
0: name that makes them good at what they do. I yeah. think it's, I think it's passion, devotion, time. You know what I mean? Well, especially today, right? I mean, there's so many tools out there. And like you mentioned before, graphic designers and all these other people, um, you know, s- succeeding in what they're doing. And, you know, there's social media now. There's all these platforms that are available that can uh, propel you to to, to anything, right? I mean, it's not so much, uh, what's going on with my phone? Jesus Christ. Um, it's not so much the profession. I grew up also in an environment where, you know, my, my parents never forced us to be anything. But there was always this suggestion. And I know for some reason the accountant ranked up there. You know, no pun intended on any accountants listening to this. But for, for, for some reason, being a doctor, lawyer, and accountant were like up there on the list. I never understood. <laughs> it's the culture, <laughs> my man. I'm telling you. Accounting. It's yeah, the yeah. culture. You know, I, I took an accounting class in, uh, I think it was CGIP. I can't remember. I knew right off the bat that there's no way in hell that I'm ever pursuing anything like this.
1: I knew when I started my business that there was no way I was going to ever touch those numbers because <laughs> I would be screwed and be filing for bankruptcy pretty fast. So,
0: yeah,
1: we, uh, we outsourced for that a- stuff. A- and
0: anything related to science as well. Like, I knew that from at least sec three sec four
1: what's funny is i couldn't do sciences in high school but my degree i finished uh my master's with is an msc which is a master's in In science Science. yeah so funny i couldn't do the the sciences in high school so you
0: went on to do your master's after the internship no
1: so what happened was is when i was at the end of my internship i remember it was probably end of may beginning of june that the internship was coming to an end. You guys took me out for a nice lunch, wrote yeah. me a card, which by the way, I think I still haven't you, even okay. know where. You laminated it? Yeah. yeah, I laminated it, gave it to my mom. <laughs>
0: <You know? laughs> All proud. <laughs> <laughs> Look what
1: I did. <laughs> but uh, I, so I finished that and I had already uh, applied for this job and I don't know if I was either offered the position or whatever, but it was, uh, but I, it was, uh, it was either offered to me or I had applied and it was starting at the end of August, beginning of September and it was a one-year job, like I said, origin, uh like I had said originally, Uh, with the Jewish community that ironically was the same organization that got me this internship. So I was working there for a year. And when I started working there, I knew this wasn't, you know, my forever job making kids programs at a youth center. But, uh, but it was one of my, uh, I guess, an addition to the eye opener. And from then I just started uh, applying to graduate schools, which was completely different than, uh, than anything with related to law. And I particularly became super interested in, um, And special needs and autism because it was on the rise. Um, People know very little about it. And when I started doing research, the only thing that kind of messed with me is I'm like, crap, there's no programs in this province uh, to teach about uh, autism, ADHD, behavioral disorders, all that stuff. There's general stuff, but there wasn't really any focus on that. So that's when I started looking uh, to go to the States to go to school and uh and is that what
0: you did you went to the states yeah so or you did it by
1: uh at a distance or? yeah so basically what happened was I applied to a bunch of programs and uh surprisingly I, I was able to uh to get into a lot of them and I don't give myself a pat on the back for having the best grades I think it was a combination of uh my letters of intent and how motivated I was by it. and also a lot of these uh American schools they want uh, the foreigners to come because it's quite expensive yeah um, so I had applied and I didn't really want to move away quote unquote, because I wanted to do some clinical work here because I knew that was a big part of the the program, which lasted about uh, a little over two years. So I did, uh, the school I chose was actually, I would say about 80% through correspondence. Um, so a lot of the, you know, the stuff was recorded, uh, online. I did a lot of live zoom sessions and, uh, whatever the, uh, platforms were with my professors, um and i didn't really have to travel to new york that much but when i did it was kind of right outside of albany so it was about a, uh, yeah, it's a four far. hour drive and uh it really wasn't so bad so i was here i was getting some clinical experience working at an intervention center here which i loved at the time and uh and doing my master's and doing uh and doing all my clinical uh clinical work all at the same time so that uh so that was that. And if we want a timeline, I think I was with you now that I think about it, probably 2011 because uh, I started school in uh, 2012. So maybe I was with you 2010, 2011, because okay. uh, I think graduate school, I was 2012, 2013. Okay. See, I was never a numbers guy. I wasn't lying to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So that's what brought me there. And uh, I did my programming there and it was, uh, it was great. It was one of those other eye openers to say like, shit. I'm in the right place. Yeah. I like this. Because I never liked school growing up. Did
0: you? Nah, <laughs> no. Well, look, it, it, it depends how you... Like, I enjoyed school because of the, the people I was with. You know, the friends and, you know, the experiences. And I, that aspect, I enjoyed it. The actual school part, like the learning and everything, I don't know which kid does. Did your parents send you to Greek school? Yeah. So I had to go to Jewish school. Yeah. But see, us, uh, <laughs> us it was different because my elementary school... Uh, I went to an elementary school that is a, obviously it's a French school, but it belongs to the Greek community of Montreal. so they have a, a permit to to have uh, elementary schools and I think they just got a permit for high school as well. So it's French says Socrates? Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a French school, but they teach Greek and English as well. So it was every day we're exposed to those three to the three languages. Uh, so I didn't go to Greek school uh, during elementary school. Uh, whereas kids that didn't go to that school, very often their parents would send to Greek school during the weekend or after school hours, like at four or five o'clock, whatever. Um, but after elementary school, when they went to high school, there's a Saturday program as well, which follows the uh, the, the high school program of Greece. You know, it's like a it's like three years high school and three years of I don't know, whatever it's called, the Lyceum or whatever it's called. Um, so yeah, so I did Greek school all the way up until CGIP. Same. But except
1: for Greek, it was more Jewish school, but I learned Hebrew from elementary school to yeah. to high school. Tell me, do you actually, do you still, do you still make use of the language a lot today? Every except day, with except every single day. With family or yeah, 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 out, yeah.
0: just outside? Outside, well, not so much. I mean, there's no purpose for me to speak Greek outside, you know, there's, uh, but when we were working in politics, we did because we had a large Greek population, yes. right? So I, I used Greek every single day. Um, whether it was for news articles or press releases, or even communicating with the different associations, communi- uh, the community leaders, and and so on, but uh, no, now I I speak Greek every day. Whether it's my parents, I speak Greek to my daughters. Uh, you don't, you it's just re- just based religion. Like when you're doing your prayers and stuff
1: uh i would say for the most part i have a few family members that speak hebrew so just kind of to get my practice in i mean i would say i used to be fluent so yeah. i could still definitely hold a nice conversation um and i'll speak it once in a while but i said like i'm not going on to the street to speak yeah. it but if i recognize you know a mother tongue language it's nice and you know you kind of hear it and then you're like oh look i also speak the language yeah. it's nice yeah but uh yeah i guess the education uh the education always plays a part in our uh in our growth and our development and uh, it brings you to but where see you to go be. back
0: to go back to the school and you know if we enjoyed it I the, the Greek school that I went to like in high school and in Egypt we had a lot more fun then probably because we were much more independent we were you know we were kind of on our own uh, we actually became friends with the teachers of that school it, it's it's weird uh, because them too they were just doing it on a you know it was like a side job i mean they weren't necessarily teachers per se right they 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 knew how to educate they knew the 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 material and they were just working on saturday teaching us you know uh, uh so yeah it was a lot of fun actually i i really really enjoyed the the saturday school although some kids dreaded it i uh, actually enjoyed it it's weird to say that so
1: yeah so we had well, it's exactly the same setup it's so funny that you're telling me this in our in uh in the jewish religion if you didn't go to a government funded uh, sorry if yeah if you went to like a government funded school um, and they wanted to learn Hebrew it was usually like after school school or uh, or weekend school yeah. but I ended up going for all of elementary and high school to us to I guess it was the private school system that offered Hebrew so I learned it for lots of years mm-hmm. uh, they even tried teaching us in high school this dying language called Yiddish yeah which basically nobody speaks anymore and I literally I'm sorry man I got zero understanding in that
0: five years of that <laughs> language well, it's like ancient Greek. I mean, we 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 studied ancient Greek for a little bit, but not in elementary school. Like later on, it's a it's a different language. It's the basis of our modern Greek, but um, nobody, no, like there's no way you, could, you should be using that language today. Nobody. It's like Latin. No one. You're not gonna that. go outside and order a pizza in Latin, right? Well, you could try. It. You're never gonna get your pizza. <laughs> you're, not, you're not gonna get your pizza. Uh, so that's what it is. But it's a beautiful language, and we study I don't remember any any of it. But in any case, I mean, there's some similarities because it's the root of our, of our, of our modern Greek language. But uh, yeah, yeah, we studied that too. So Yiddish is like the ancient Hebrew.
1: Uh,
0: I don't really want to answer that
1: incorrectly, so I'm gonna say no. I think Aramaic is ancient Hebrew. Yeah. Yiddish was just like a language that I think a lot of the Jewish people spoke, like. Uh, pre pre or post like world war Two, and
0: like oh, okay it's more time. recent okay so
1: uh so it might have been then or even dating back before those times but uh yeah they tried to teach it to us i can sing you a couple of songs no, but i don't want to bore the viewers it's not a problem do you have a piano yeah,
0: yeah i do actually should i should you I play I?
1: piano no i don't uh, so, <laughs> so then why, <laughs> i, you like, I thought you were gonna play the piano <laughs>
0: yeah um Tell me a little bit about what you're doing now because it's interesting. You're working obviously with kids with uh, with special needs. I need to tell you that I was I was exposed to this at a very young age because my sister studied special care counseling. Uh, there was a program I think at Vanye or still is yeah there still is. Uh, so she studied that and then she she worked quite a bit at the Summit. The school seven school uh and then she went back to school to get her full education uh, diploma and she's working as a teacher now but um yeah i remember uh in elementary uh or not rather in high school uh going through different experiences with, that my sister would relate to us uh, about her studies and you know her internships and all that stuff uh and there was the, the you know it impacted me obviously i mean you're dealing with uh uh, with kids that have disabilities and obviously with their families. So you went on to create it. You, you, tell me a little bit about, about your business right now. So it's it's called ABC solutions. Tell me a little bit about ABC. Solutions.
1: So I'll tell you about, uh, about our company, um, which we're very proud of. Um, so I'll, I'll give you, I think that it's important to know the backstory. So yeah. I said, I'd gone to do this uh, master's that was very much online, a little bit in person, Uh, Based out of uh, outside of New York, Uh, I graduated with a master's of science, ironically science, um, but it's a master's of science in autism and applied behavior analysis. So I'm not going to bore you guys with any uh, with any details, but applied behavior analysis also acronym is ABA is basically the number one scientifically validated approach to work with children, not only with autism, but child development, um, children with special needs, all sorts of needs, whether it's behavioral issues, um, ADHD, um, you know, severe, severe behavioral stuff, obviously the different spectrums of autism. So my degrees that I did, it was a double master's, I think really helped me um, in the sense of bringing back that knowledge here. Um, so in, uh, 2014, I met up with an old colleague of mine. Sorry, I'm going I'm to interrupt you. Is that approach recognized here in Canada? Absolutely. It's approach recognized in Canada. Um, so there's a, I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm a specialist in behavior, uh, in behavioral disorders and autism, but, um, the, um, the, the education I would say it's not that it's not recognized here because it is, but like, for example, like with insurance companies and stuff like that, that stuff is really still needs to come to Canada and more to this province a little bit and back to politics. I I think we're making headway to some extent, but um, the education was was based out of the States, um, but it's definitely... It's definitely understood and used here in Canada a lot, but I think that's part of the uh, part of uh, thank goodness part of our success was being able to have that you know over some other practitioners here really knowing the ins and outs uh, ins and outs of uh, of autism and special needs. So ABC Solutions. So two thousand fourteen, um, I met up with an old colleague of mine who ironically had um, who had uh, taught me a couple of trainings that I ha- that I had done over the years and um i had known her from the past and i always found her not to be very nice sorry alex (laughs) um she was always tough on me always told me i was a know-it-all and uh, she had already completed the degree that i had she actually did it at university of reno nevada um about eight or ten years before me so quite a bit more uh you know clinical experience and um she actually reached out to me on facebook and asked me out um to meet up and she was married i knew that with children and i uh and I thought to myself, oh, maybe she wants to go on a date with me. This is weird. And she reached out to me and we had met up uh, for, for, for a, ended up being a dinner. And she basically was not interested in me to date in any way or, you know, to come on to me. And I'm like, oh, there goes my self-esteem with that one. But it was more to say, hey, I know you did this program. You know, I think you had some learning to do. You did the learning. Let's get together. And from then, the business plan started, the brainstorming started, and uh, we ended up coming together and um, incorporating which what is now ABC Solutions Inc., one Francais solution ABC. And um I will tell you guys, you want to know a little bit about what yeah, we do. Of course. That's why you're here. So <laughs> that's why I'm here. <laughs> so uh we started off with basically three of us, myself, my partner Alexandra Rothstein, um, and another partner. Um, myself and Alexandra had basically the exact same education at the time. Um she obviously had more experience than me. Um, she was more interested in early intervention, which is ages about, you know. Babies all the way up to about, you know, three, four years old. And I was more interested in kids, elementary school and high school age. So we kind of figured out from the beginning, you know, which clientele she would be working with and which clientele I would be working with. Um, We had no offices, we had nothing. Um, Our third partner um, really was great with academics. Um, and she put together a lot of academic um, interventions and stuff, trying to teach kids with special needs how to read, how to write, um, all that stuff. But we ended up actually um, breaking off uh, just about a, almost a year ago. Uh, my third partner went off on her own, which was a great move for all of us. And she now does her own thing. So it's basically myself and Alexandra. Um, and we built quite a quite a nice team. So we have uh, currently, um, I would say, about 13 to 15 Um Interventionists that work for us. So basically what happens is you said your sister studied special care counseling yeah. at Vanier or LaSalle. So that's basically a lot of what we hire. We hire um people who graduate um in special care counseling from here. And then we train them specifically, either to be integration aides, shadows, and then they go into the daycares, into the schools and they work with our clients because uh, if you guys check out our website, one of our big things is we're huge, huge, huge believers in um, in integration and having kids with special needs integrated into in regular classes. regular classrooms. Yeah. Why? Because a lot of these kids with special needs can learn like every other child, and there's nothing I want more than my daughter. I have a young daughter to learn acceptance, and I won't. Re- I don't want to use the word tolerance because it's not about tolerating. It's acceptance and understanding of children that might learn differently, speak differently, act differently. So we're very big on integration. So that's what a lot of our staff do day to day is uh, they're either trained by us in ABA to collect data and work with the kids one-on-one and in school settings or daycare settings. Um, We have a speech therapist on staff, an occupational therapist on staff. um, And I should say that my business partner is about uh, six months away from finishing her uh, phd so she'll be able to do assessments and diagnostics um so basically the idea of abc solutions is to give us uh to give parents kind of that one-stop shop so when they call us whether their child has a diagnosis of autism or adhd or there's just some concerns we want to be able to sit down with the parents and say we can offer you basically everything or almost everything you need under this one umbrella we're going to guide you Um, myself and my partner do a lot of what we call on parent consulting or parent coaching, where we help the parents, uh, at the, at our clinic or in the home environment, you know, dealing with their children, um, behavioral outbursts, stuff like that. Cause that, you know, stuff happens a lot. You have a, you have young kids, Mm -hmm. right? How many times you see your kid have a meltdown about not Never. wanting to wear? Oh, really? I see that smirk on your face. Man, I swear to God. <laughs> you got perfect kids, man. My uh, my almost eighteen month old will you know cry if it's not uh, if it's not exactly what she wants to wear if something's uncomfortable. Yeah. And you know when it comes to special needs, you know the thing is, is is you know it's all kind of cute and oh that's what it is they're toddlers. But when your kid is you know twelve years old or fourteen years old and they're throwing chairs and having meltdowns, yeah. you know you really need to help the parents and guide them. So that's a lot about, uh, you know, what we do in the clinic and in the home setting. And um, over the years, I started doing a lot of, um, a lot of one-on-one therapy. I see kids on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, and I deal a lot with kids that have um, anxiety um, and also comorbid kind of means that there's a connection and uh, it's also quote-unquote comes hand in hand with, um, you know, ADHD, autism, because a lot of kids on the spectrum, you know, suffer from anxiety, suffer from social issues. So I do a lot of one-on-one therapy at our office in the West Island. And it gives me the opportunity to work with, you know, lots of different kids. So on a given day, I'll see about, you know, six clients or patients, whatever you want to call them. And uh, I get to go into schools and check out how our staff are doing and give them um, intervention plans and stuff like that. So we really get to move around a lot and do a lot. And you know what? Like I said before, I think I think we help people and we make a difference. And that's what's important.
0: No, no, guaranteed. Uh, tell me, because you mentioned about working with families and then with schools. Do do you work separately? I mean, do they come to you or do they find out about you through the schools that you're working in?
1: It's a very good question. So in our first year, you know, we did, you probably know about this stuff a lot. You know, we did Google Analytics hmm. and uh, all these advertisements and, you know, in uh, Parent Today and all these magazines and newspapers. And we reality we found is that the niche market of what we need and the 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 demand is so high that advertisement really isn't that important because it's a lot of word of mouth. So to answer your question, we get a lot of recommendations from schools, um, from guidance counselors, from school psychologists. Um, lots of pediatricians um, will recommend when there's concerns, um, you know, in the home or school setting. So it's mostly from doctors and from schools. Um, that people come through our doors, and we're really thankful to all these people because you know that's how business runs—is you know through a good reputation and word of mouth, and uh, and that's really how people uh, how people come to us. Or you know, one happy client or family—you know—we've helped their child through you know a difficult time um, or you know an anxiety-provoking event, um, and then they refer us to another family. So that's a lot of, I guess, how our business runs. And also we should say that in the past couple of years, we've been working with a lot of kids that um, that do not have special needs, that do not have a diagnosis. So we serve a lot of those kids too, because there's a lot of kids there that just struggle mm-hmm. for many different reasons. Yeah,
0: I- I'm just trying to understand a little bit uh, how you're getting into the school system, uh, because- you know the, the public school system over here obviously is served by the the health department, right? We have the CLSCs and all that stuff, so they have their own uh, people to that intervene in schools. Are, are you are you in that network or are you just working with the private in, with a private sector? Someone did their research. That is a booming
1: good question. High fives! All right, there we go. Great question. Um, so I would say a lot of our work, um, and where our shadows or integration aids are placed is within private schools um, or private daycares. Now, I'll go back just to answer your question. So there's two kinds of daycares. You have CPEUs, yeah, which, which are daycares that are government funded. And when there is a child um, with a disability, and the disability doesn't have to be autism. It could be a, a motor delay, a problem with uh, speech, something like that. They get a certain amount of um, money from the government as long as there's a recommendation made by a professional like myself, or a social worker from the CLSC. So our staff are allowed in those government funded daycares because they get allocation to bring in private organizations like like our like ABC Solutions. Right. Now, when it comes to the school boards, we're talking about uh, uh, English Montreal School Board, Lester B. Those school boards. Your question was great. Technically, they have their own people. Problem is, is I find that even though they have some amazing school psychologists, speech therapists, um, integration aides, the problem is, is the need today is so damn high that it's very hard to fill the needs of all these kids so we're not allowed to send in our staff to work uh, in integration the school boards cannot pay abc solutions to do that so with these people lots of times the kids will leave school to come for therapy which has nothing to do with the school because they have their own people um some of the schools i forge really great relationships with especially in the west island of montreal because we've become uh you know well-known so they will allow myself in or my partner in simply to do observations in the classroom or in the school setting but we're technically not allowed to intervene because they have their own staff and like you said you have clsc you have crom you have all these organizations that are mandated to work with the schools so the schools little by little let us in to do a couple of things but they have to be very vigilant of how much
0: um, support we can give in the school because we're a private organization right so do, do you take on these patients then uh, d- d- does the school then recommend them uh, on uh, on a private basis like after school
1: yes they are definitely allowed to do that so they'll recommend or I have kids um, you know that will leave school and go home and I'll have one of my interventionists um, work with them in the home setting um, and a lot of these kids, you know, who are on the autism spectrum, they can't do full days at school. Mm-hmm. So they have half days and then they come home and I have one of my staff, you know, working with them anywhere from six to 20 hours a week yeah. um, doing intervention. And at the same time, they're working on social skills, academic skills, you know, gross motor, fine motor, working on behaviors and stuff like that. So the important thing is, is that, you know, these kids are getting what they need, but the schools have to be careful about doing it, um, it under their roof uh, in terms of private intervention. For sure.
0: So then, uh, so then like you have like two little clusters, you have the, your intervention in schools and whatever mandate that you get and then the private stuff that you work with, with the families directly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And often, oftentimes, oftentimes it's important to note is that those things come together. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'll say to families, like when they sign a contract to have an intervention put together for their child, you know. I can work with your child. One of my staff can work with your child for six hours a week and, you know, teach them to dress themselves, for example, or to be able to, you know, um, prepare their own snack or, you know, how to calm themselves down after a meltdown. They could teach them these things. But the problem is, and I find where the gap is a lot, is you can have the best people teaching this to the kids. But what happens when the kid gets home? The parent has no idea how the child has learned how to deal with these things. Right, right, right. So that's why a lot of the time parents will send us videos so we can give them video feedback. Mm -hmm. We'll even go into the homes and, you know, train the parents, you know, with whatever they're struggling with so they understand what the child is working on Mm -hmm. and they can help their child in that home setting also.
0: Talk to me a little bit because you mentioned before um, the importance about integration, having these kids uh, kind of assimilated in a regular school with regular uh, students. Um, is that, uh, is that on the rise or is there still in Quebec or in Montreal, uh, separation between those schools? Another
1: amazing question. So here's the thing. Um, really, I'm impressed with your questions, Georgie. You're am going to get a second high five. All all this positive reinforcement in our field. (laughs) Um, it's on the rise. Integration is on the rise. And I'm going to tell you why. If you guys go back like 40, 50 years, they would, they would quote unquote, tell tell families of children with special needs that they should be institutionalized and they have no place in society okay and i get the shivers when i tell you this because it's so i'm almost going to say for lack of better words wrong to say but they label these kids as unable to learn Unable to communicate. It's a function. Yeah. Um. You know. They even. They even. They even talk. Quote. Quoted them and uh, referred to them as ch- children with MR. Mental retardation. Mm-hmm. And uh and we've grown so much from that. I mean, obviously the U.S. Um and even Ontario has, in my opinion, grown faster than Quebec. But we're growing. And why? They, why do you think that is? I'm gonna say that um that there's more of an understanding. There's like you were asking about the school boards, there's full teams now of, of in every you know public school and all the systems for integration aids, um, school psychologists, social workers, where they do evaluations because they know that it's there. And in almost every classroom I go to, I'll go in for a child and the teacher or the principal will say to me, by the way, when you go into this class... This is not the child you're looking at. It's not the only child with needs. Mm-hmm. So all the way up from kindergarten, all the way into high school, you're going into private schools, you're going to public schools. There are children being integrated and the kids that really struggle and you know get in the way of other kids learning Even these kids are in these classrooms. And, you know, what happens is, is, you know, they have break rooms for them. They'll give them shorter days. Somebody will pull them out to do one-on-one with them. But the truth is, is we're big on integration today. And that's so important, not only for these kids, but for our kids to learn about, you know, what this is. And you know what? I got to tell you, some of these kids who I work with are, and I've been following for years, are Pa- past sage app i have two clients that i still consult for that are on one at concordia one at mcgill um driving cars yeah. these are kids with autism and adhd and not only are they contributing society but these are going to be people that are going to have careers mm-hmm. and they're going to be just like you and i and they're going to be valued members of society and that's why integration is so important
0: do you think at, at some point the bureaucracy here in quebec is so enormous that it's blocking this advancement uh, cause you mentioned the u s and Ontario and how fast they're uh, they're advancing into this integration thing. Um, do you think government should kind of be more flexible with this? I don't think it's a t- I don't think it's a question of necessarily
1: flexibility. I think it's a question of education and understanding because what the government and you know people need to realize is these these children are gonna be the ones that are that are gonna be you know running society when we're retired and we're and you know when we're elderly so we got to open the doors and give as much opportunity as we can and the thing is is i should mention that abc solutions we're we're in the private sector right so families either get some kind of you know grant from private foundations i think canadian tire has one um there's a there's a grant through the through the loblaws family where they get certain amounts but the thing is is We're private, so the people that come to us, if they don't have these grants, they have the financials to pay for support for their kids, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't come cheap. Now, the thing is, is the families that don't, they go on waiting lists, and that's what really screws everyone over in Quebec, because I'm going to tell you what happens. You see signs of autism, even now, we diagnose as early as 18 months what happens is is you you see a concern you go uh on the list at saint justine or the children's and you're waiting for some kind of evaluation in the public sector you know you get yourself set up with the social worker and what happens is is there's an age out where at a certain age uh the government will not be able to intervene anymore what age is that um that is that is by age um five well they say it's by age five but by age six for sure
0: they pull off
1: so what happens is is if you go on a list and there's a two or three year waiting list and you only see signs at age three or four you know they come out later You're
0: done you're getting very limited support
1: exactly your kid ages out and that's it you're not getting that free evaluation or whatever so if you need to go for a full autism diagnostic you're running
0: upwards this is new to me man this this what you just said to me i've never heard it before Uh, So what happens with these parents? They have to go to the private sector or they have to wait for their kid to go in school and have one of their uh, integration therapists kind of analyze uh, the child? So
1: more good questions. So basically what happens is if a kid ages out, which is um, I want to say with with our government by age six, the latest, and they start school and they see there's problems, a child needs in the school boards what's called a code. And you know it's a code fifty six, a code fifty eight for autism, for you know whatever. In order to get the support of these integration aids um, of the school team, because like I said, the the resources are there, but they're sparse. So what happens is, if a kid ages out, you got to go to people like us. And a private evaluation for autism or ADHD is going to run you anywhere up to between low end two thousand all the way up to three thousand. It's a lot of money for people, man. Mm-hmm. So what happens is is parents are at the mercy of the schools to do it. And the schools, a lot of the time, the school systems will do it. But guess what? There's not enough psychologists to do Mm -hmm. it. So they might wait a while and they wait and they wait and the child loses precious time. You know what it is for a kid between four and six, you know, that those two years, you know how much development they make. So they end up, you know, scraping their funds together and, you know, coming to people like us. And we obviously try to work with families as much as we can, you know, to make their child, you know, progress and, you know, try to help find them ways to, you know, get funding or resources, but it's very hard. So, you know, we hope that the government in the coming years are going to do more. And I really think they will because the need is just on the rise. It's yeah. not It's not going away. I don't want to say a problem, because it's not a problem, but the need is not going away. The need is rising. Public sector, private sector, middle class, upper class, lower class, it's everywhere, and we need to do something in order to help these people.
0: It, obviously, it's a matter of resources, right? So, I mean, uh, and when you talk about public funds, you're going to give something, but you're going to have to... Re- Take away some from somewhere else. You understand? It's all about balance. Uh, but I'm still interested in that integration thing. Do you think that the schools are uh, there's more and more schools now adopting uh, this um, uh, this style or this education uh, where they're bringing in kids with disabilities, or is it still very much controlled? Does the government play a role in this? Does the government have to give the green light for this to happen, or how much autonomy do the schools have to proceed this way?
1: So the private schools have definitely much more autonomy because yeah. they have less government involvement. As long as they follow, you know, the curriculum, uh, you know, in French and in English and, you know, whatever, I think they're free to do what they want. And what happens in the private schools is um, we have a lot of staff that work in the private schools doing integration and either either the, the schools um, have applied for a grant. Um, let's take some of the Jewish day school systems. they get they get help from the Jewish community. We have a great, strong mm-hmm. community that will give monies allocated to the different schools, whether it's for literacy programs, for behavioral interventions, stuff like that. So they get the the government has less involvement there, or sometimes the parents will pay out of pocket and be able to provide somebody. Um, to help their child integrate. And that's a lot of the business we have is they'll contact us and say, the school's given us permission. Our child is, you know, dealing with X, Y, and Z. Can we have somebody trained and sent into the school to work with them? And that's great. In terms of the, you know, the public schools, what happens there is they really need the green light from the government. And we're going to go back to what we were saying before about proper assessments and evaluations to actually diagnose a child if a child doesn't have that unfortunately the schools often have their hands tied because if the child doesn't have a code the government is not going to give them those hours per week that that child needs because they can display all these behaviors but it needs to be documented so in case someone comes back at the school and say hey where are you allocating george for example who does integration and help these kids why is george working with child x you know wh- where's the documentation? We need that.
0: So, who's authorized to to give out these uh, these diagnostics? So, diagnostics. Uh, that's exactly what my
1: business partner is doing. So, we can offer all the services. She's going to be able to do um, clinical assessments from early intervention. Will they be
0: recognized by the government?
1: Absolutely. So, any basically, what happens is, is in order. You know, I could write letters of support. I can write intervention plans, but I never went uh, so far in education to do assessment. Number one, because. I wanted to be more hands-on in training people and working with children. And number two is that uh, at the time of my education, I didn't want to continue and pursue a doctorate. So what happens is in order to, in order to get a formal uh, evaluation, let's take autism at a young age, um, a clinical psychologist will do what is called an ADOS and an ADIR. And those are a a bunch of interviews of educators, teachers, parents, um, you know, different, obviously, testing with the child in in a, you know, in a clinical environment setting, school observations, all that. And if they come to the criteria... Um, That the child meets enough of, you know, what they're looking for and can check off enough boxes and they meet a criteria for, let's say, autism. Those are the type of assessments that are recognized um, either by the school boards or by private schools where where somebody can be put into place to help these children. How long does this...
0: Procedure take usually?
1: Well, if you go private, you can get in with a private psychologist, you know, pretty fast. A lot of them.
0: But all these interviews with uh, teachers and all these other intervention. uh, uh, I would say if
1: parents are paying out of pocket, they can. It depends what waiting lists are. It's again, another good question. It depends. But I would say that all this can be really done in, in a short couple of months. But if you're waiting and you're at the mercy of other people, and, you know, you're talking about bureaucracy and the government and funding and the hospitals, you could be waiting a couple of
0: years. It's crazy to think how much uh, a room to grow exists, like you mentioned, between four and six, or whatever age. It really doesn't matter. Uh, and to know as well that there's all these delays, uh, it's just a loss. I think. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about de- uh, detection, uh, how important it is to detect early, how you do it, um, what the process is, and uh, and that sort of thing. Okay. So
1: basically, for certain for certain developmental disabilities, we don't we don't look at them until the child is a little bit older. Um, so, for example, like just to get out of the way for ADHD, we're now doing earlier screening, but we won't look at ADHD until around the age four. That's really the earliest. Now, autism, I said before, I think I gave the the number 18 months. That's where um, psychologists now. Whereas three, four years ago, almost would barely, some of them wouldn't even look at them. Now we're starting to look at detection and uh, even evaluating at a young age of as young as 18 months, two years old. Now, what to look for? Um, Obviously, their speech, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, um, you know, not talking or stuff like that. But parents who are listening to this, do not be scared about what I'm saying, because oftentimes there are delays And that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your child. I'll Mm -hmm. take my own daughter, for example, who's now 17 months and just took her first steps over the Christmas break. And everyone's saying she's delayed, she's delayed, and that didn't worry me. So whatever I'm about to tell you, don't get nervous. But what do we look for? We look for um, language delays. We look for issues with eye contact. We look for... um, um, lapse in um, in socialization. So when an adult goes into the room and says, uh, hey, Georgie, hey, Georgie, I'm so excited to see you. Sorry for that voice. Um, you know, we expect the child to turn around and engage with that adult. So we look for those signs of social interaction. We look at how they play, you know, with toys, you know, are they going to roll the car back and forth and go vroom vroom or are they going to hold up the car and just start spinning the wheel? So we look at all these little things and a, a lot of that can be easily detected you know um you know just by doing a, an observation in a home or in a daycare but the thing is is you know sometimes there's some of these delays but it doesn't mean that all these delays qualify you know yeah. for nazism diagnosis
0: uh
1: i can go on but i don't want to bore people no no
0: but uh, you're not you know you're not gonna bore anyone uh because I, I, i'm still stuck to what you said about you know that gap that exists between uh you know the, the the early detection and the actual diagnosis and the time that you can actually take advantage of to make whatever difference uh in some child's development how like how much impact can you make depending on you know that gap of time that you have where it's important to actually get that detection uh done um so
1: basically it goes like this a lot of the phone calls that we get are from parents that are either on a waiting list um in the public sector or um they've been you know they've been alerted by the child's teacher by educators that you know there's some of these signs that i just pointed out before and they don't even have a diagnosis but they want to start intervention right away mm-hmm. whether it's uh, speech therapy occupational therapy um aba therapy which is based on applied behavior analysis Excuse me, I talked about it before. And oftentimes they'll start intervention before we even uh, before we even open the door to a diagnosis and the kids start to make gains. Mm-hmm. So even if they're waiting for that diagnosis, it's never too early to start working with your child and, you know, try to target it. And I think sometimes what happens is um, culturally, you have parents that really don't want it they they know something could be wrong right they Parents, just don't want to accept it exactly right? yeah. they know their child the best but they they don't want to accept it and you know what unfortunately that i know it's a tough pill to swallow but you got to have open eyes and sometimes you know i wear two hats i wear my professional hat but sometimes i look at my own kid yeah. and i have problems um you know seeing what maybe i should be seeing if i was looking in her you know elsewhere um again i told you guys she was late walking well guess what when she was about uh Just over a year, about 12 months, I noticed that she would do, you know, everything developmentally that she should be doing, but she really wasn't moving. And everyone was joking, oh, she's so lazy, this and that. So I called in a uh, childhood uh, uh, physiotherapist and I started doing physio sessions with her to teach me and my wife how to get my daughter moving because Mm -hmm. I knew it would happen, but I wanted to expedite the process. And it was amazing. And this person that worked with her, who was a colleague of mine, got my daughter to start rolling over and moving and doing all these things. And that's important. So early detection, no matter what you're looking at, is super, super important to your kid's development. No matter what you see or don't see, you got to say, okay, well, you know, there's something. How can I help
0: them? Mm -hmm. I I imagine that depending on where the uh, specifically with uh, with a case of autism, depending on where it's situated on the spectrum. Uh, there's cases that are, are, are easier to deal with than others.
1: Yep. Um, so we call it an autism spectrum disorder because there's so many kids that function very highly. And these are the kids that are, you know, integrated into private schools or the school system. And, you know, they have their support and, you know, they have extra time for tests or whatever recommendations um you know, a professional makes for their learning and their behavior. But then we have the kids, you know, who are, who are, you know, um higher up on the spectrum, which means that they're, you know lower functioning and they have more challenges and there's excellent excellent resources for these kids too unfortunately here we go back to the waiting list so you had mentioned before summit school an excellent school um, Giant Steps Giant
0: Steps yeah I know. an
1: excellent school that is a school for children with autism located in the west end of Montreal Um, and again this is not like this is like your TSO comment earlier on this is not a uh, a pug for any of these schools because I have nothing to do with them I just think they're great Um, so we have Summit school we have Giant Steps we also have a school called Peter Hall now Peter Hall is a school where um, children on the spectrum or other developmental delays um, will be able to go for a full school day and a lot of these kids struggle um, emotionally developmentally mentally behaviorally um, more so than other kids they'll have more violent outbursts mm-hmm. and stuff like that and the ratios there are set up in a way that these kids are really properly you know we hope you know, want to say really well taken care of so these kids you know are not i don't want to say a burden to their parents but they go out every day so mom and dad could work and these kids get you know their own type of education and these are the kids that struggle more but there's a place for them now a lot of these places you know we wish we could just call up you know summit School, But the thing is, is it doesn't work on who, you know, it doesn't work on a donation. It doesn't work like that. There's waiting lists and we need more of these places to be able to help, um, these children because there's, there's a spectrum and not all kids can be integrated. Although that's our hope.
0: Yeah. Um, why is
1: autism on the rise? Million dollar question, nobody knows. Autism can be on the rise for all sorts of things. And I want parents who are listening and have concerns about their kid to, if you didn't listen to this last uh, 59 minutes, I want you to listen to this. Okay, I'm going to answer your question. Please don't be fooled by by uh, everything you read out there in articles, all sorts of therapies. If you're going out to help your child because you have concerns, make sure that you have somebody who has experience, who you've checked out. Um, you know, either referred by you know a hospital by your pediatrician, um, you know, who you've looked at on Psychology Today, who you've read up about, because there's all sorts of therapies out there. And I'm not saying they they don't work, but parents who are desperate. I mean, I know, speaking from experience, who has a young daughter, you know, I would do anything to help my kid. And there's all sorts of therapies out there. You know, they talk about oxygen therapy, dolphin-assisted therapy, where parents will spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to bring their child to these specialists, travel to the United States or to these places to help their kids. And the truth is, is I'm not saying that these things don't work. I'm saying look for things that you know are scientifically validated, that you know and have researched and you know by professionals here have helped your child. Um. So, ask me your question again, because I went off on a little tangent. Yeah, you did, but it's okay.
0: Uh, I'm just curious to know, like scientifically, why is autism on on the rise? I mean, and and these are these are this is factual, right? I'm not
1: right. So it's factual. Um, it is on the rise. When I was in grad school, you know, the numbers um, was one in one, I think, in 60 for boys. Yeah. And now I think they're in the United States because this is more from the American Association. I think they would say about one in 50 or one in 55. But viewer, uh, listeners don't quote me on this.
0: That's insane. man. But
1: it's very high, much more so for boys than girls. Yeah. Um, again, can't answer that. Can answer why why is it on the rise people will say it's everything from environment they'll say oh you know there's certain uh, you know parts of montreal where uh, you know the pollution is so bad so autism is on the rise there uh you know there's studies that say it's lack of love and affection from parents you know yeah. you're giving me these eyebrows now because like what the hell yeah. is this yeah. so there's all sorts of things and the reality is nobody has an answer but the thing is i tell parents it doesn't matter because we treat what we see so eventually you know i might be out of a job because we might find you know a cure quote unquote but don't listen to these bullshits you know for people trying to sell parents who are in a vulnerable state about curing autism there's no cure there's ways to learn to deal with it there's ways to learn to cope with it and a lot of these kids are very smart and they become very successful children teenagers young adults and members of society just like you and i
0: yeah you've heard of this obviously obviously and i'm gonna i'm gonna say it here because the one thing that i keep hearing more often is the vaccines yeah you made a face is there is there anything related to that is it just a coincidence What's what's the science behind that?
1: Okay, so this is such an important, and in,
0: by and by no means are we suggesting parents not to do the the, the vaccines, right. but it just seems that coincidentally that 18 month old vaccine or the the which one is it the four to five year it's the
1: one MMR. So basically, um, this is such again, like obviously listeners george did his research on uh, on these questions he's asking me we spent a lot of time even when i was studying in school um on how to answer these types of questions and i'm really glad i know about it enough to be able to inform people so basically there was one study done okay one study that really caused the whole upheaval it was by a doctor named uh, andrew wakefield and he he um he put out an article specifically about the mmr vaccine so parents who have kids the mmr vaccine is a uh, Measles, measles, mumps, rubella, and there was this study that was published by this guy, basically saying that um, that this vaccine is a cause of autism. This article was later removed, and um, he lost his um, medical license to practice. There is no scientific validity that vaccines cause autism or harm for children. Yes, you know, you're giving your child something that, you know, you're 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 you know, you're putting them through something, you know, even a flu shot that, you know, could be giving them, you know, a a little bit of uh, you know, a little bit of uh the opposite of an antibody. Well, we'll give them antibodies, but give them something that, you know, causes them to get a fever and be sick and, you know, parents are saying that, you know, how can I give my kid this and make them sick at a young age? There's no evidence about this. So guys, my personal advice, people will go against me. My kid had all her vaccines. I will do that for all my kids. Parents who call our clinic and ask the questions, there is no validity. I'm a very science-based guy, and um, there is nothing, nothing published out there, or written that vaccines, um, specifically the MMR cause autism. So if anyone is asking, what's this guy's opinion? It's 100% vaccinate your kids. If for some reason, you know, people want to split them up because there's a lot of vaccines that are very close together, split them up. But, you know, do what's best for your kids. Speak to your pediatricians, read and educate yourselves so you know that you're doing the best for your kid.
0: Obviously, the pediatricians are going to suggest and they're going to they're going to they're going to push the parents to, to to vaccinate their kids. But it's just weird that, you know, at that age that you mentioned where, you know, usually the earlier signs are on 18 months, um, 18 between 18 months and two years. And just incidentally, that's when those vaccines are uh, are done I went through it with my wife, there was, there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to vax, uh, that I was going to, you know, I was going to vaccinate my kids, but I won't lie to you. Uh, there was a part of me that was kind of doubting it at some point. I was, you know, you're scared because you're reaching that point. And, you know, obviously uh, as a new parent, you're reading a lot on, on, you know, kids health and behavioral stuff. And, you know, you want to learn and you want to be the best parent that you can be. And a lot of the literature out there uh, talks about this, uh, this issue.
1: Yeah, it's it's still very hotly talked about. And if you're going to read up on it, make sure that you're reading, you know, um, you know, articles and speaking to people who are proper practitioners. And I want people to to know that, you know, years ago. Um, lots of pediatricians did these vaccines. And now most of the time, like I know my daughter's pediatrician office um, doesn't even do these vaccines. Parents are going either to private clinics or mostly to CLSEs Mm -hmm, to do mm -hmm. it. So it's not like a cash grab for people or anything like that. People people and parents are giving these kids their vaccines and professionals are telling them to do it because research is showing that this is, you know, what's beneficial to the child. Um, It's not to say that, you know, you were talking about age that, you know, things can't develop, you know, whether it's something minor or something, you know, really concerning. But, you know, if a parent calls me up and says like, oh my gosh, if I give my kid the vaccine and they're going to stop talking and developing and develop autism, you know, that's a very big statement. And again, find me the research that says that that can actually, you know, happen.
0: Yeah. Look, I don't know. I mean, you're much more specialized in that, but I, I, I know personally, um, you know, a couple families that are dealing with, uh, with autism. And in most cases it appeared around that age, right? Yeah. So, uh, and, so and, the- and, 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 and without exception, every single one of them, were, were, you know, they've told me like the kid was just perfect. Yes. Interacting well, laughing well, playing well, uh, uh showing signs of speech, uh, you know, to, saying a couple words here and there. And then just from one day to the next after that vaccine, boom, it was like, what happened? So, I want, I
1: want uh, listeners to understand that with autism, what's really scary is, first of all, you don't develop autism. Okay. That's a big, that's a big myth. You know, the signs don't come out till later, but you know, for lack of better, you know, expression or words, um, autism, autism, you're, you're, you're born with it. There's no, you know, there's no signs that show it early on, but there's earlier detection. Now, you know, you were saying 18 months to two years, that's when we diagnose, but often signs come out later, right? I mean, if you if you know you just look at any you know like good validated website or speak to any you know doctor or read a you know a decent book we talk about child development and you see a child develop you know you know right from birth and there's you know four-month milestones three-month milestones six-month milestones so we watch for those and a lot of times is because you know there's delays in development and stuff like that like i even mentioned with my own daughter you know with her walking and her movements and stuff the thing is is you know often those things develop you know around that time the 18 months the two-year time frame where people become you know like oh my gosh now they're not doing this this and this and that's that pivotal age is it possible that it comes you know in conjunction or in the same time frame as you know a certain vaccine yes but guys educate yourselves like i said and know that vaccinating your kids is not going to cause autism or another developmental delay
0: Mm -hmm. um talk to me about the parents that you that you work with yeah, uh, talk to me a little. And it's it's obviously very difficult um, to have this conversation. But uh, talk to me a little bit about the setting. You know, how are parents? How do you break that barrier? Uh, like you said before, certain parents they, they they're reluctant to uh, to admit uh, certain signs and uh, certain developmental uh, disabilities that their child may be having. Uh, talk talking me about uh, a little bit about the parents, how do you approach them how do you um how do you deal with that situation? It's obviously very um very fragile. it's very you, you know, I'm imagining it's a it's a pretty emotional thing for the parent to be to be told that their child uh, has mental disabilities or autism or whatever other uh, disabilities you work with
1: um so basically when kids come to me without a diagnosis and, um, and the parents ask me, you know, do you think they'll ask this famous line, do you think he's autistic? And I say he, because 90, 90% of the clients, it's boys boys that come through our door. They ask me these questions and the beauty, the beauty of what I do is, uh, is I don't do assessment. So I don't, I cannot tell a parent, yes, your child is on the spectrum. Do I see signs you know, do I see signs and know in my head, you know, there's big concerns, 100%. But I'm I'm not the one, you know, to give the news, I will explain the news, you know, if there's a nice 20 page assessment, I'll explain to them how should work based on, you know, what was found by the doctor, or the psychologist, but I basically treat what I see. So I'll put an intervention plan together if they want their child to go, you know, to a private Greek school, for example, and you know, the school's willing to accept their kid, I'll put a plan in place, you know, to help that child integrate. And it doesn't matter. ASD, ADHD, CD, ODD. It doesn't matter what it says on paper for me because I'm going to treat what I see. So when parents work with me, I understand. I say, this is your child. I'm doing the best for them. Do parents ever get emotional? Of course, all the time. And I I try to do my best, you know, to have empathy for them and understand their situation. And my business partner always told me, you know, when we first started, wait till you're a parent, it's going to hit you so differently. And now it does hit me differently, but I do my best to try to be very objective and say, this is what we're dealing with. And this is what we're going to try to do to help it. And these are the people we're going to bring in. And this is what we're going to do. And, and, you know, parents, parents who come to us, they obviously want to help their child. So they're, you know, whether they're in denial, you know, or not, they they've made that phone call to us and they've come through our yeah that the first step is done and and so they want to help their child and yes you know sometimes there's severe meltdowns and you know a child will you know become aggressive in school or do property destruction or you know hit their sibling or their parents and something you know major could happen and there'll be these breakdowns but the thing is is we bounce back and we say you know look at all these look at all this potential progress we can make with their child yeah so really i always tell parents it, it's a team approach and it's the families it's the professionals it's the doctors it's the Power professionals, it's the school, and we all work together to best help a kid.
0: How difficult um, or how easy is it for you to, to kind of, you know, draw the line? Because I, I imagine that working with families so closely, um, there's a certain sense of attachment, right? I mean, you become part of this whole process. Uh, You, you, you grow up with their child. You grow up in their environment. Uh, Has there ever been a moment where you know you get attached? To the child, to the family, and then, you know, something, you know, there's bad news, right? I mean, that emotional uh, connection that you have with the child and the families, do you try to kind of draw the line or is it something that you just have to go with?
1: It's very, very, very hard because, you know, as someone who does what I do, we come very attached to the client. When I say the client, I don't necessarily mean, you know, the parents or the siblings or the school, I I mean the child that we're working with.
0: Because aside from, the child that you're, you know, that you're trying to help, there's all this other uh, ecosystem, right?
1: Right. So theoretically, you know, what we do, you know, within this ecosystem, as you say, is like, you know, we try to draw barriers in line. So for example, you know, family invites me to their house for dinner example i would never accept i'm not allowed um you know families you know will try to you know give you know give gifts to us and you know we we don't accept we're careful with that but we do build a connection to these kids and you know i will have parents text me after hours or on the weekends or you know or or call me in a panic you know just this past summer um a little boy who i oversee his case um he had ran away from home Mm. and the parents live um in the west island of montreal close enough to me and i got into my car to help find this young boy because um his parents weren't were frantic. And is that out of my line of duty? Yes, yes, it absolutely is. And, you know, the, you know, you contact the police and you do all this and that, but I could just picture, you know, this mom and dad frantic about not knowing where their kid left, you know, what would happen when he crosses the street, stuff like that. So, we do get emotionally involved luckily i have the most amazing wife there's my plug to uh, compliment you audrey um who really understands and from the day she met me she knew how important it was to do my work so yes i try to draw boundaries and keep you know as much as i can private but um and i do do that but uh but yeah it affects you it affects you in more ways than one and you want to do your best to be the best you can be to help how, these families how is,
0: how is it for families dealing with this Obviously, it's difficult. You, you know, there, there isn't one single parent that would want to go through this. But in your experience, I mean, it's t- yeah, tell me. It's a little different
1: bit about. types of burdens, George. Because the thing is, is like, listen, you have families that have you know a lot of uh, you know financial means, and they could pay you know for all types of support and stuff like that. And obviously, money is not the answer to things, but you know, it helps when you're coming to uh, to a place like ABC Solutions, you know, where we don't have government funding excuse me, where we don't have government funding. And, you know, parents have to a lot of the time pay out of pocket for services. So, you know, that helps. Um, Obviously, you know, lots of times when there's a child with, you know, a lot of difficulties, you know, whether it's autism or anything like that, it's, it causes a big strain on the family unit. And there's a lot of times that families become divorced because of it. Mm -hmm. And you're dealing with single parents or joint custody. And that is also, you know, big, big, you know, potential issues because you know kids with special needs they need routine and they need structure and often they're living you know in two houses they have mom and dad who are always you know dealing with things differently and you know fighting and that's really difficult so the thing is there's all sorts of situations it could be you know parental situations you know sometimes i have families with more than one sibling that has you know anxiety uh or you know or or special needs or behavioral issues and you know when it's more than one kid it becomes a new challenge but most of the time i'm dealing with parents That you know are really optimistic and they see their kids progress, especially if you know you you attack these things early on. And there's there's really a lot a lot of positives in you know what we see. And I always try to tell parents you know when they're having a hard day, look at where you came from, Mm -hmm. look at where their starting point is, and look at where your kid is now. He's sitting in school. Your kid has friends. Your kid has play dates. Your kid is sitting at the dinner table with you, you know, and we celebrate these little you know these small things that people take for granted, and I remind parents of you know what they should be celebrating day to day
0: do you do you do you see any of that progress in the more advanced cases what do you mean by that like you mentioned the kids being integrated in school and having friends and living a more or less uh similar life to to other kids uh the kids that have a more severe uh, disability, like for example, in the autism spectrum, um, do you see such a pronounced uh, advancement and uh, betterment in their situation, or it's more, you know, it's more difficult in those cases?
1: Now I understand your question. So um, basically, w- w- the thing is, is like we're looking at celebrating different things right so like the child that's being integrated what like you know what might be a parent's dream for them to be able to have a friend who wants to come over so they can you know learn to share toys mm-hmm. and that's a lot of stuff that my staff will you know work with them in therapy then for you know the the kids who are you know um, higher up on the spectrum and have more difficulty function, we might celebrate, for example, you know that they get toilet trained at age six, or that they learn how to request, you know, for water instead of screaming on the floor. So it's not that you know the advancements are more or less; it's that the advancements and the celebrations and the milestones are different, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I want people to also to be aware that, you know, sometimes people will say, you know, we're professionals or, you know, doctors, whatever, you know, your child, you know, is, you know, very severe and, you know, they might not be able to ever learn to speak and stuff like that. Still go ahead and fight the fight for your child because oftentimes your kids are going to surprise you and they're going to do amazing things and they're going to beat those odds and they're going to be able to develop more so than people think they will.
0: Where are we right now and where do you think we should be headed and what work needs to needs to be done in terms of you know detection and you know the, the, the whole science of it
1: so detection is there early detection is super important and i think that's great i think what we really need is we really need to be able to tell you know the really the people high up you know at the provincial and federal level you know This is what's going on. This is society now. How are we going to help these kids? Because these kids are our future. And the most important thing, and it comes down to it in all walks of life, is money and funding and being able to say, hey, this is what this child needs. This is going to help their development. And, you know, I said to you guys at the beginning that my education, you know, was not based on, you know, um, you know, um hypobaric chamber therapy or you know or 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 all sorts of you know hullabaloo that people might think of but you know my training is based on stuff that's scientifically validated that has studies and hundreds of thousands of hours of research and 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 um, and case studies and all that. And they need to see that these are the things that we can do to help our kids. And what do we need for it? We need money. We need understanding. And and a lot of what I've been doing in the past few years is going around and doing things like this and educating people so they understand what is autism. You know, I could tell you that if I brought uh, a bunch of kids that I work with here to sit in the studio with us, they would be interested. They would be engaged. They would be talking to you. They would be making eye contact. And you would say to me after, bro this kid doesn't have special needs like they're amazing mm-hmm. because these kids are, are are just like you know my kids and your kids and they're learning to be part of society and they're learning to contribute and they're learning to do all the things that kids need to do mm-hmm. so we have to continue to educate we have to continue to fight for them we have to continue to get money and resources and allocations so we can help families help schools and help kids
0: mm-hmm. uh let's close it up man tell me what you're working on what's new what's uh what's coming up uh for your uh for your uh, for your company what are you working on right now and uh what are we gonna so be looking our, to?
1: our big thing now if people hit up our website uh yeah, sure. Plug um, it in, man. Um, i'm sure georgie will post uh, our website up there but what we're doing a lot of now which ties into what we've been talking about is we're doing a lot of online trainings um so we have a whole um company that we teamed up with in the states um and we've made um different types of trainings parent trainings paraprofessional trainings, which are people that work in the school systems, um, professional trainings, teacher trainings, and a lot of times because people have full time jobs, they will sign up online and it's off of our website. We have a list of our trainings there and we will and we run virtual classes and people get educated because there's such a need. And so we're really moving towards this online education. So people that work full time or have children could learn, you know, whether it's for their classroom, for their own child in their home, um, how to best do it. And we have tons and tons of trainings, whether it's um, learning to deal with tantrums, whether it's behavior training, whether it's helping kids speak, whether it's um, we have a whole training on um, on how to teach children to uh, to be potty trained, all sorts of stuff. So we're moving a lot towards these online trainings. And I've been doing um, myself and my partner um, a lot of workshops. Um, for early interventionists for daycare educators for teachers because the thing is is if you take a teacher who's been teaching for 20 30 years unfortunately they might be great teachers but they don't know what I know so when these chi- children are being sent to their classrooms they have to know how to best help them so that's where we're moving into the education I hope
0: that's nice uh one last question it just came it, it just dawned on me um, and it obviously it's more political because that's what I know more and um, is there a lobby is there is there a movement is there an organization that is much more political trying to raise awareness with our with our leaders where is that at
1: so i i, I you know what when I left politics, I left politics and um, even on Facebook pages, people will tag me in um, in posts or my company and ask questions. I really try to stay away from that. Now, I don't ignore the questions. I'll answer people privately. Um, so I don't think I have the best answer to that, but I know in the States there's a lot of lobbyist groups. Um, there's an organization called Autism Speaks, which some people find controversial that is really trying to, you know, to lobby for, you know, for funding and families and stuff like that. And in Quebec, um, you know, I don't know exactly what it was, but there was recently in the past year or so, um, with our government, you know, a grant um, that was allocated for—I don't—I don't think it was specifically for intervention, but it was a step in the right direction for assessment and stuff like that. So, obviously, we need more of that. And the best people um, to speak on that on that behalf is is parents of mm-hmm. parents of children with special needs because they will be—you know—there's an expression: "You are your child's best advocate." So, there's professionals like me that might have the knowledge, but we don't have the heart like the parents do. And it's the parents that are really, you know, the best people to fight for their kids.
0: And is there anything out there that you know of? or?
1: Um, there are things out there. I, I don't know specifics on, you know, you know, what's out there or not. There's all sorts of groups on online. I know a lot of times, you know, groups go to Ottawa and they, you know, and they're fighting for, you know, for more hours of integration and more support. And listen, they must be doing something because recognition is on the rise and support is on the rise. It's obviously still not enough especially with the growing number of diagnostics that's coming out. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, there's groups out there and I, I don't know enough about them and I wish there was more. So in my, in my field, what I'm just trying to do is educate myself more and more each day, doing my best to help these families.
0: Dude, I want to thank you for coming, man. I I know that you're a busy guy and uh, I appreciate the time that you took. Good luck, man. Honestly, you're doing, um, I I think it's very valuable, the work that you're doing and the commitment that you have, uh, not only towards these children, but, to their families as well. Um, I enjoyed seeing you again, man, honestly.
1: Feeling is very mutual, my man.
0: Don't call me because I won't go for coffee, but...
1: You won't go for coffee, no drinks, <laughs> but if you have a watch question, you'll ask me. And if you have a developmental question about your kids, you may ask
0: me. No, I'm just joking, bro. We should we should, we should do this more often. Uh, and I know that you're busy now with, uh, with your little family and I know how much time, uh, you know, how time is precious and how you can get caught up with all these different things. Um, I appreciate it though, man. It was nice seeing you. It was absolutely my pleasure.